Harold here, your fearless leader. Welcome to our Life with Breath expert series. Hello, friends. Today we have an amazing guest on the program for the next hour. We have the amazing Edward Dangerfield from Bali. So we have a global connection and he is doing amazing work. And I can't, can't wait to get into a conversation with Edward about some tools that we can apply on board to make each moment of our life a transformational moment, to heal old wounds, to move forward with a smile on our face, and let go of things that aren't important anymore in our life and stay focused on the present moment. Before I introduce Edward, I want to do a little breathing. Why don't we take a couple minutes and see if we can drop into our breath and drop into our body. So my invitation is for everyone to sit up tall in their mind, plant their feet firmly down into the earth, grounding that lower body, and then bring your awareness to your face. And see if you can reset your eyes as far back into the sockets as they will go. See if you can shift your awareness to your low jaw and let go of any old tension around the masseter and drop the low jaw a fraction of an inch and see if that helps unwind maybe some old tension in the features of the face and allow that tongue to rest on the upper palate opening up the maxilla, opening up the nasal channels. Start to breathe as slowly as you can without straining and feel your surroundings, your inner surroundings, your outer surroundings. And behind the reproductive organ, you're going to find the pelvic floor diaphragm. Above your belly, and below your ribs, you'll find the thoracic diaphragm. And then there's another diaphragm in the throat. Let's make contact with these three sacred muscles of the human body and the human spirit. What I'd like you to do is bring your attention to the pelvic floor diaphragm. And in your own way, inhale 50% of your capacity and lift your awareness from the pelvic floor to the thoracic diaphragm and pause. Inhale the remaining 50% and trace the energy from the thoracic diaphragm up your spine to the pit of your throat. Hold the breath in for a moment. Exhale 50% and drop your awareness from the throat to the thoracic diaphragm. Pause. Exhale the remaining 50% and drop your awareness from the thoracic diaphragm back to the pelvic bowl. Pause. Repeat. Inhale 50% from the pelvic floor to your solar plexus. Pause. Inhale the remaining 50% from the lower chest to the pit of the throat and hold the breath in. Exhale 50% slowly and pause. Trace the energy from the throat to the lower chest. Exhale the remaining waste and drop your awareness from the lower chest to the pelvic floor and pause. Repeat several rounds. 50% inhale to the solar plexus. Make contact there. 50% inhale to the throat. Hold the breath in and sense your inner voice. When you feel pressure, exhale 50% slowly and drop your awareness back to the solar plexus. Pause. Slowly expel the rest of the waste. Drop your awareness back to the pelvic floor and pause. One more round in slow motion. Straight spine, 50% inhale. Be in your solar plexus. Emotional self-awareness. Inhale the remaining 50%. Expand your lungs. Hold the breath in and relax. And sense the inner voice in your throat 
that connects your heart with your brain. Release 50% and drop your awareness back to the solar plexus and release the remaining 50%. Hold the breath out and be at the pelvic floor behind the reproductive organ. It's very tender there. Hold yourself open if you can. And then take a couple breaths on your own. And as we move through this podcast, I'd like you to listen with every cell of your body, from the soles of your feet to the crown of your head, with every molecule that's in your belly, every subatomic particle that is in your lungs, and open yourself up to the pure potentiality of living an enlightened life in a human body on earth in 2021. Not next year, not two years from now, right now. Take a deep breath in and exhale slowly through your mouth with a sigh and break the sound barrier wherever you are on the earth. Feel good, ladies and gentlemen. When you're ready to leave the meditation, just lift that upper eyelid up. Look at the surroundings. Look at the amazing person who you are, the reflection coming from the screen. Now, today, we have a special, special guest. And and this man walks the talk. He is an amazing human being, and I can't wait to get into it with him. So let me give you just a short introduction. So if everybody can just breathe into their heart and take this in. Edward Dangerfield is a nervous system specialist who practices clinical breath work to repattern breathing. He is the founder of Breathwork Bally and Safe Breathwork. He works in a clinic and trains practitioners in clinical breathwork. He has studied a variety of different styles of breathwork and bodywork. He integrates modern approaches to neuroendocrinology and breathing rhythms to support clients to find more ease, joy, and vibrancy in life. He lives in Gangu Valley and is an avid surfer, a passionate father, and is involved in pre-Mac culture farming and sustainable business initiatives. That means he's the real deal. Welcome, Edward. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ed. I really appreciate the invitation and really super stoked to be here. And also, uh, what a wonderful day for, way for me to wake up this morning with that with that meditation. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's important for our viewers to know that it's five o'clock in the morning in Bali. One of the benefits of breath work is that we like to get up early. We like to get up before the sun and merge with that sun energy because, you know, we're, we're vibrant people, the breath work folks. You know, Edward, where did you grow up and, and start to take on some of these modalities of helping others? Uh, yeah, thanks so much, Ed. So um, I, I, my accent's a bit warped, I would say, or I was uh, kind of like a hybrid. So I actually grew up in the UK, in southern England, and I spent the first about 20 years of my life uh, being educated and living and growing up there. And I would actually say I was pretty disconnected from uh, deeper levels of self-awareness or any sort of philosophy that connected me to nature or to uh, other people or spirit in a more holistic way. And I think the turning point in my life, I, I immigrated to Canada in my early 20s. And then I started to live a kind of different life. I actually, I lived as a, basically as a ski bum for uh, an extended period of time uh, in uh, in the mountain town of Whistler in, uh, in Canada, in BC, yes. on the West Coast. So I spent, yeah, I spent more or less 20 years uh, living in Canada. Um in the mountains of BC. And that was an amazing, amazing experience for a variety of different reasons. And I suppose really my, my life path took a big turning point around the age of 33. Uh, and the pivotal moment uh, that I can really see was uh, when I was caught in an avalanche. And so 
uh, at the time I was uh, a restaurant owner and I was working uh, also as a, I would, I would guide people in skiing. And so at that time, uh, yeah, life was really different than it is now. That's for sure. But what happened was uh, I was, I was given this, super challenging experience that now of course I recognize as a huge gift, but at the time it wasn't. And that was being caught in an avalanche. And that's uh, obviously a really traumatic experience. And so it was that that led into this doorway of wanting to learn more about the human body and existence. It left me into a pretty existential crisis. And yeah, I would say it's combined with a bit of a satin return and all, you know, a nervous system meltdown and all of these things. I was just like, wow, I've, I've really got to figure this out. So I suppose, uh, you know, I'd connected to, to yoga in my early 20s when I was uh, in university. Um, I'd connected a little bit more to, to movement and to some sort of a little bit different healing patterns and styles, uh, movement therapy through mostly the work of Moshe Feldenkrais. And so I wanted to, I wanted to explore deeper into, into like healing arts and science, but more out of a case, Ed, honestly, of like, I've got to, I've got to figure myself out. And I've got to figure out like what's regulating my body and mind and how do I find more stability again? Avalanches are scary business and they're not to be taken lightly. And I live at Snowbird, Utah. Uh-huh. So we have many, many avalanches every day. And yeah. even the most skilled backcountry veteran can still get into trouble very, very quickly in the back country. I'm so glad you're still with us. Yeah. Thank you. Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I, it's, um, I think it's, you know, like everything in life, there's always some risk, right? Uh, we can't de-risk life. That's just the the nature of it. And so we make choices. Uh, and one of, you know, as when we get into skiing and playing in the mountains, we're going to make a continuum of choices. And sometimes we're weighing up risk and sometimes we're using the information that we have. And um, <clears throat> on occasion, there are errors, like, you know, and sometimes chance isn't smiling on us. And that's just really what happened that day is uh, I made a decision that I thought was quite reasonable based on, you know, the snowpack and skiing the previous day and already skiing one lap that morning. And there were a variety of different factors, including, uh, you know, we we're getting a little bit later in the day. We had some, some, some thermal loading, some, the snowpack was warming. We had a, a slight instability and yeah, things, things got a little, a little tricky, a little quick. And so avalanches themselves. Yeah. Like the honoring the power of uh, what happens when, you know, half a mountain of snow starts to move with us when we're skiing. Um, it's pretty harrowing. And uh, and then I think at the same time, what I really uncovered is like these challenging experiences that we face in life. In my experience and from a lot of like reading and, and a lot of working with clients, it's not the experience, the harrowing experience that's necessarily going to impact us uh, and our nervous system and, uh, and, and how we move forward. It's actually about our own capacity, our own nervous system, our resilience, our sense-making, and our capacity to self-regulate as a human that may or may not create challenge moving forward. And I suppose just to summarize what I'm saying is what I went through that day, someone else might have shaken off. But what I went through that day totally rocked me. And, you know, if someone else went through what I went through that day, they might still not have recovered yet. And so it's tricky because there's nuance and complexity with something like avalanche trauma. It can lead to PTSD, but it might not. And it depends on the individual who's involved. And so in my case, I think I kind of sit somewhere in the middle on the spectrum of like shaking it off and being totally uh, like, you know, totally challenged in life with perception and nervous system and mind. I, I was kind of somewhere in the middle there. And um, yeah, it was enough of a it was enough of a, <laughs> an experience to, to change my life dramatically. Well, I'm going to take a deep breath on that and let that go. And let's talk about the three diaphragms of the body and how they interact around breathing, how they interact with each other. And why, is, uh, the, why are these three diaphragm muscles so important to health and personal growth? Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Ed. So, um, 
I really, I really enjoyed the meditation this morning, and I hope that um, you know the listeners have an opportunity to connect into those three spaces. Um, so, as you already, as we've already discovered this morning, the three diaphragms: pelvic floor, the rib cage, and the throat. Um, and so, these are for me; these are essentially uh, the foundation of life in the body. Uh, in terms of the mechanics of breath, air is the substance we're breathing. And it's made up of a variety of different gases. And we're either breathing in through the mouth or the nose, depending on habitual pattern and what is, is happening in our life at that time. And breath is the, is the sort of vibratory movement of the diaphragms and organs when that substance enters the lung space. And I like to make the differentiation because our lungs is what's receiving the air, but our body and our being is what's receiving the pulsation of the breath. And so... When we breathe, it's, I think it's important to recognize that breath is, as you've noticed and explained this morning, and I hope we've had an opportunity to embody it in, in some way at least, breath's moving in from, from the pelvic bowl, from the pelvic floor. That fullness that we can feel down all the way pressing through that space, that's the initiation of the breath. And I like to think of it, you know, it's like a glass of water. The breath, it's filling from the bottom and it's coming all the way up to the top. And so functionality of breath is essentially what I study and what I help people uh, repattern or unpattern. So we, it's that she came up in the workshop last night. One of my team kind of reframed this and I loved it. And what they said was when we're born, for the most part, we have a very clear, uh, a rounded, full, vibrant and relaxed breath on the exhale. And so most of us, when we're born, we have a, a reasonable breathing pattern. Um, and of course, depending on the style of our birth, that might change that a little bit. And so the idea is that these three diaphragms, they, they are like a human, neuroplastic. And by neuroplastic, I mean neuron for nervous system, neurology, plastic for malleable, changeable. And so like surfing or going to the gym, practicing stretching, my body is malleable. If I sit at a desk and at a computer, it's going to change my posture and form. If I don't stretch and move and you know keep my body vibrant, I am going to create over time changes in my being. So the same is true for the three diaphragms of breath. They're neuroplastic, they're malleable, changeable. And so if we start with a full vibrant breath, it, we may find that over time, the volume and the patterning of breathing will change. And so breathing... Okay, so, so that's you know, something that's kind of curious, but to answer your question, why is that important? Well, how I breathe every day is really dynamic. Uh, we're breathing 23 to 26,000 times a day. And how the breath moves in the body impacts a lot of the different systems. So I kind of open this up by saying, well, breathing is the foundation of uh, our life and the vibrancy of how life moves through us, but also of how it interacts with all of our systems. So we could start to go through the systems and we can explore how our systems are affected by that. And the first one we could start with is digestion. As we've just uncovered, we're breathing into the belly, the lower, the lower abdomen first in the pelvic floor, then up through and then into the upper lung heart space. And so ideally our breath is moving through the small and large intestine. And so ideally we're pulsating that area with breath. Uh, we're moving food around in that space with the breath. We're helping it break down. We're helping digestion. And we're essentially, we're massaging that area. And that brings through more circulation, more blood flow. In Chinese medicine, it would bring through more chi as well. Mm -hmm. And so that, that pulsation of movement, even if we're static, even if we're not, even if I'm sitting at a desk, if the breath's pulsing through that area, my digestive organs of function is going to be a lot more rich and full. We can sort of, we love to be massaged, right? And so we can kind of take that. The breath is massaging our internal system every moment, every day. And so then as we move up into the body, the other organs here, you know, the liver is being massaged and moved. The kidneys are receiving the pulsation of life. They're being told that they're still here and, you know, that they're loved and supported by the breath. When we move up into, into the space, of course, the lungs and the lung function, the diaphragm function here. Uh, that's creating a movement down, and so that's bringing breath into the low lung. It's changing. So just if we just focused on the respiratory system as well, more O2 in, more CO2 out potentiality, which can be really useful, or even less as well. So we can reduce how much O2 and how much CO2 we're bringing in and out. We might not need that much 
in that moment. And so we're looking for dynamism in the breath, dynamism in, this, in these diaphragms. As we breathe, our breath is changing circulatory system, it's changing blood pressure and heart rate. So heart rate variability is directly affected by breath. So again, that's another foundational system. When we go into the nervous system, our inhale is activating whilst our exhale is relaxing. So the, 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 the rhythm of breath is directly controlling the sympathetic activating branch and the parasympathetic relaxing branch of our autonomic nervous system. And so those two branches, they're creating a feedback loop from the body into the brain. And similarly, the brain with its perception is creating a feedback loop to the rhythm of breath, which is changing our level of alertness and awakeness. So, you know, that nervous system is paired to the endocrine system and the endocrine system is our glands. Our glands are changing our blood chemistry. So we've got a variety of different glands through, through the body. I, I teach from a space of teaching seven different gland centers in, in endocrinology. Those gland centers, they're affected by the rhythm of breath from the nervous system and also how they're being massaged. So if I'm not breathing through into my sexual organs and my roots, there's a quality of feeling abundant that won't be present in my life. If I'm not breathing into my heart space, I will have a limit in my capacity to feel and give love. And so we started to map the direct correlation between our breathing, the glands and where they're positioned and how we feel. And then with that, we're also mapping our breathing rhythms to our emotional states. So every breathing rhythm has a corresponding emotional state. If I can breathe dynamically, I can feel dynamically. And if I can breathe dynamically, I can meet the stimulus in my life dynamically. And so, I like to think of it like I just want my breathing rhythm to be appropriate to my circumstances and my surroundings. Yes. So right now, here we are. I'm in my treatment room. You're in your office and we're hanging out. I don't need a big voluminous breath like I was surfing. Mm -hmm. And similarly, if I'm surfing and I get held under, I need to be able to stop breathing for an extended period of time. So here I've got a variety of different breathing rhythms and patterns, and I need to just have access to them. And if I didn't have access to those different ways of breathing, I wouldn't have access to different ways of meeting the challenges of my life moment to moment dynamically. And so for me, that's why when we focus on breath, we have this huge domino effect into all systems of the body. And then, of course, the perceptions of how we're seeing the world, which is impacting ultimately our mind. Well, that was that was a, an advanced yet simple description of how to live a vibrant life well into your later years and still remain dynamic. It was yeah. really, you really touched on everything that's important that we don't hear a lot about in conventional medicine and strategies from there, understanding that the body is a self-healing mechanism. And when we think about the pelvic floor diaphragm, that's actually the first group of tissues that is created in the womb. Wow. Everything connects one way or another to that pelvic floor. And uh, when we're uh. trying to do this inner work, when we draw up on that pelvic floor, immediately it draws up on the arches of our feet. It engages our skeletal muscles rather than our superficial muscles. So our patterns of movement are refined. Mm. When we get up to the thoracic diaphragm, I preach to people, this is the most important muscle out of all 610 muscles, but you're never going to see it in the mirror. <laughs> and, you know, folks like to see beauty in the mirror, but if you want to see beauty in the mirror, that thoracic diaphragm has to become your best friend. There's neurons and sensory nerves in that diaphragm muscle that interacts with our solar plexus, our entric nervous system, the organs of the upper abdomen. And when you were talking about improving your breath, and the first thing that does is improve your digestion, who wouldn't be interested in that? There's so many connections between the body and the brain that run through the throat. It's extremely crowded in here. And we don't hear a lot about the value of a healthy throat area uh, in conventional uh, medicine. 
You know, we don't want a lot of mucus here. We don't want a lot of phlegm or a lot of fat buildup. We want the wiring here to be clear. We want that vagus nerve to be providing resiliency. And when we think about these three, con con these three muscles create two containers. And the quality of the energy of suction and pressure in these containers plays a huge role in our heart health and our ability to see clearly in our mind. I never heard the succinct description, the way you just gave our audience in the last 10 minutes. Kudos, buddy. Yeah, thanks so much, Ed. I really love what you just added there as well. And I think there's so much to build on there as well. Just like honoring even the nerve pathway, one thing to consider as well that's that's really powerful is, you know, the, the vagus nerve that you bring through, the vagus nerve pathway traveling through the neck here and the impact it has on all of the organs. This is the wandering nerve and it's going to give this feedback to the organs and from the organs back to the body. And these are the feeling cues that we're receiving of this bottom up way of experiencing life from our internal landscape and then the next thing you touch upon yeah the most important muscle in the body the diaphragm i love that i can definitely agree to that the diaphragm here the the phrenic nerve which is you know a pair of nerves that travels down through the throat as you're speaking to as well and it pulses the 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 abdominal diaphragm here and so i think it's amazing that you have this awareness around the importance of clarity in the throat space as well and how the throat is also impacting breathing. An interesting thing about the throat diaphragm, the two vocal cords, you can hear them coming together and apart every time I'm speaking. Their functionality is controlling how much CO2 I'm letting out and how rapidly. Yes. And what I find with a lot of people when we're working with the functional dynamic breathing rhythms, we're seeing that they have a hold in the throat. And what that's doing is it's holding carbon dioxide in and it's actually creating an imbalance in their whole system. Mm. Calcium and carbon dioxide and oxygen in this careful balance in the bloodstream, we're looking to have an alkaline being. If we're holding in too much carbon dioxide, there's a tendency for our blood to go a little bit acidic. And of course, as we're delving into more research of uh, body acidity and cancer rate, we can see there's a direct correlation. And so when we start to explore this idea that if my vocal cords have a natural strain or stress on them as this third diaphragm of breathing, if they're taut or holding, carbon dioxide's being held in more than my nervous system would wish it to. I have to create these other maladaptive patterns and strategies in my being, but ultimately I'm creating acidification in my body. And so even overnight, if that's present in my subconscious breathing pattern, I don't have a chance to fully relax because I'm still holding my throat space. I'm building more CO2 potentially overnight or creating more maladaptive breathing strategies. And that doesn't allow me to fully release cortisol. Mm -hmm. And as we know, cortisol is a massive stress hormone. We need to go into a parasympathetic state to relax and release that. Minimum 30 minutes of downtime and relaxation to fully dump my cortisol. And so to be able to do that, you know, that's going to impact then what we call the HPA axes, which is what you touched upon, it's going to impact my brain function. And so high levels of cortisol are going to directly impact the HPA, which is the hippocampus pituitary adrenal axes. And so now my adrenals are firing. They're creating this feedback loop, which is now I see the world as scary. I create more adrenaline, creates more fear in my internal landscape. And guess what? I see the world as scary again. And so I'm now living this loop of creating a a negative validation feedback loop. There's this fear out there. My body's stressed. My body's stressed. There's more fear out there. And all, we, all we've got to do <laughs> is relax and find our breath for 30 minutes to be able to clear our lens of perception. And we do that enough. Ultimately, we're going to see, as you know, that the world is joyous and friendly and we're here to help and support each other. That's just beautiful. You know, and bringing awareness to the HPA access and how we just go into the war department. We separate ourselves right. from the goodness of life. Digestion stops. All the energy comes out into our arms and legs. We, come in, we become a street fighter, whether it's internally right. with our subjective thoughts or we're rigid externally. It's really hard to create personal growth profi profiles for the mind when this HPA system is firing off because the brain thinks that we're in danger. It thinks that right. you know, we are going to be killed. And, and it, right. it's a new mood for personal growth strategies at that point. 
So yeah, thanks, Ed. It's like you know that the HPA axes and that quality of, of that that fighter, like it's amazing. Let's embrace it and let's embrace it in containers where it's appropriate or needed, right? Like I tr I love to train Muay Thai. You know, I I surf. Those are really appropriate. I love touching into that power and feeling it. I don't bring that, you know, into the home. I don't bring that into into my teaching containers. It's not needed. It's not relevant. I don't bring it into business strategy. The, I don't need to fight in those places. I need to learn how to love more deeply. And I, I noticed the correlation there. It's like, how can I love if I'm if I'm you know flooded with this with this these chemicals? I can't. Let Let's. Uh... Let's switch gears a little bit, and I want to get your feedback on this. Three things that uh -huh. that get a what I would call, from what I see in social media and, and science programming around breath, bad publicity. Number one, sympathetic energy is bad. <laughs> Two, carbon dioxide is bad. Uh -huh. And three, fat is bad. <laughs> Those three things that I hear a lot about. Number one, sympathetic energy. Try to get rid of it and be in a parasympathetic response for your entire life. I hear that all the time. CO2, right. bad. lower those levels right away, but, uh -huh. but forget that there's two oxygen molecules in CO2 that can help right. you remain alive. And then obviously fat, like fat is bad. Fat is an unbelievable incubator for communication of electrical currents and endurance qualities so uh, uh. In, in your role as a clinical breathwork specialist and a nervous system specialist can you give us a little uh, on how your take is on sympathetic energy carbon dioxide and fat metabolism yeah thanks so much ed well, I really, I really appreciate this. Um, this is like so on point for me, and really like lands so deeply in my heart. So yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, that that exploration of sympathetic energy, I, I, it's my understanding that you know the, the desire to move out of sympathetic energy is is now creating this binary dialogue, right? So it's binary is just black or white, and every time we have a black or white lens of the world, things become challenging. Like that's just like I don't often speak in absolutes. But any time we see something as black or white, we've created challenge. That's just the nature of it. There's nuance, complexity, and grayness, always. Like, that's it, right? So when I like to explore the two branches of the nervous system, what you're speaking to is the sympathetic activation is just like being, like, villainized as being, like, bad, wrong. But here's the, the crazy thing about the crazy but complex but simple thing about the nervous system, as I've alluded to, inhales activating and exhales relaxing, Right. If we don't have an inhale, if we don't have sympathetic energy, I'm not sitting up. Like, I'm not getting out of bed in the morning. And so that looks like depression. And that's, mm -hmm. that's ultimately not the space we want to live from. The importance is to have sympathetic energy and be able to access it in all different ways. That's the inhale. That's a vibrant inhale from pelvic floor all the way up to the top of the lung, fully and deeply. And what I want is to have parasympathetic that's available and balanced. And so instead of getting rid of our vibrancy, what if we focused on bringing in a quality of accessible relaxation and specifically what we've touched upon, and we'll get a little technical here, is, is vagal tone. So we're looking at the parasympathetic relaxation responses coming from the vagus nerve. And we're looking at this idea that for vagal breaking, we have two opportunities. We have either the dorsal branch of our vagus nerve, which is, this is polyvagal theory from Dr. Stephen Porges. If we're in a dorsal vagal shutdown, we're going to go into a freeze response, which could be useful as well. We might need that at some time in our life. But ideally, we want to have access to what we call the ventral vagal braking system. So I would like to be able to slow myself down through communicating with a friend and with all of these different ways of ventrally breaking my system. What that means is I can downshift my sympathetic branch of my nervous system. So I can activate. And I can also relax. And I don't think it's the act, stopping the activation that needs to be focused on. Mm -hmm. I, I perceive that it's actually creating more of a relaxation response. Guess what? It ties back to the vocal cords, the third, uh, the third diaphragm of breath. If I take a full inhale and now I hold on in my throat and I'm slowly releasing, there's the hold. You can hear it. Guess what? I can't relax. 
a sigh in the anatomy of breath is a full inhale and my shoulders fall. Oh, you already cued us to do it this morning. The more accessible the, the breathing rhythm of a sigh is, the more easeful it is for me to relax. So sympathetic energy is our friend as long as we can balance it with an appropriate amount of parasympathetic energy. And so this is where we touch into like some philosophy, right? It's like sympathetic is activating, yang, masculine. Parasympathetic is relaxing, yin, feminine. I think what we're seeing in the world is this desire to move away from sympathetic. It's because we're not embracing our parasympathetic. So what if we could all individually and collectively learn to embrace the feminine qualities in our life of play, of relaxation, community, connection to the earth, all of these things. I think the sympathetic then stops being villainized because we've learned how to live with it. Right. And it probably shows up in relationships as well in that way, both as if we're embodied as a man or a woman, regardless, that energy is present in, in all of us, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be like my, my first one on the sympathetic. And Thank you. carbon dioxide, it's like, I think I just like, we'll build off that. It's like O2, CO2. Imagine if we can just look at these two things as balance. It's not that we need one or the other. We need both. I have O2 and CO2 saturation points. And so the reason I breathe is because of my carbon dioxide levels, not because of my oxygen levels. So yeah, let's, let's, I think we're glorifying oxygen, lung capacity and O2 coming in and vilifying the presence of CO2 in our body. When we, drive ourselves into different breathing rhythms we have an opportunity to saturate ourselves with carbon dioxide and what we do when we're saturated with carbon dioxide is fascinating there's a medical response called tetany which mm -hmm. a lot of people access when they first dive into connected breath work the the hands cramp the face can cramp and we go into ultimately what is a, a fear response and that's because of you know calcium and carbon dioxide buildup in in the bloodstream that makes the the O2 molecules, the two O2 molecules that you speak of, inaccessible. We can no longer access them. We can't even access the O2 in our blood. And so we go into this cramping response in the nervous system. And so CO2 is essential. The benefits of being able to be with and sit with high levels of CO2 are profound. And we're starting a clinical study next month here in Bali, which I'm super excited about. And we're going to explore what it's like to actually increase our CO2 tolerance, get more comfortable sitting in the windows of high levels of CO2. Uh, part of that will be working with um, a freediving school as well. Yes. Uh, when, you're, when you're 10 meters underwater, there's no way to cheat. You can't take a breath. You've got to get really good at what you're doing. And, and so we're <laughs> going to explore some of the therapeutic benefits of uh, extended breath holding with pressure underwater and just use use the ocean that we're blessed with here in Bali to support that. Yeah, so that's uh, going to be like another another deep inquiry. And and uh, I, and now I must admit that I've totally forgotten the third point, which I love, but I can't answer it because I can't remember. So That was a great answer. But I wanted to speak a little bit about fat cells and how fat oh, cells great. are affected by optimal breathing patterns. Mm. Well, so it's interesting because I love what you're speaking to about like the abdomen muscle not being seen, but being the most important. And there's this conditioning that I think we're individually and collectively going through with social media, which involves a, a lot around the potentiality for us getting distorted body image. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, starting to look at people on Instagram that are looking to appear a certain way and believing, you know, I mean, this is this is now quite ancient conditioning we're going back culturally some time where we've seen pictures of people who are like rake thin or ultimately on the other end of the spectrum and we have a potentiality to normalize that that is health and that is wellness and so you know then in our mind's image of ourselves we create something that's unrealistic to live by in terms of like our own body fat and, the, and, and you know, carrying additional fat and resources and, and a store of energy and the importance of that, again, like what I like to speak to is balance. And it's like there's this natural balance that the body is going to find. An interesting thing about weight regulation, weight loss happens through CO2 emission. So we don't excrete our additional energy, our calorific build. We don't excrete it out. We don't burn it out. It's not actually converted in our body through movement. The way that we regulate our own weight balance is through our breath. 
And there's actually a, you can Google it. There's an amazing YouTube video about this, how breathing will regulate weight balance. It's about carbon dioxide to oxygen balance in the body on a very deep cellular level. If I want to lose weight, I need to exhale more. Carbon dioxide, carbohydrate, it can kind of start to make sense. The more that I exhale, the more I'm going to drop weight. The less I exhale, the more fat I'm going to build. The body's infinitely wise. I can't use strategies to outhack my emotional drives for food. It's like I'm creating mind-based rigidity that isn't going to actually create healthy weight balance. And I love to explore the breathing rhythm to realize why people are carrying certain weight in certain areas. That can be a protective mechanism. And But if that buildup is consistent through the being and healthy, Great. Like, what is this desire and need to change the wisdom of the body that's 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 already present and, and doing what it needs to do? That is so interesting. Dr. Ruben Merriman from Australia was the physicist that came up with that, that right. the lungs were exhaling CO2 out into H2O out into the field. It's going right back into the source. He was my guest a few months ago. He was amazing. He, he's no way. Yeah. Yeah. He is an amazing scientist and just, you know, really, you know, turned the apple cart completely over when we only lose 15% of fat through urination, excretion, and sweat. You know, the the gym world doesn't want to hear that. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's amazing. Like, you know, what we're speaking to here is these three diaphragms of breath and their learned function over our life, they're having a huge impact on our being. And, and you know, I specialize in that. Like, I'm a geek in that stuff. It's been, you know, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours exploring that in my own body, my clients, my students, my team, my teachers. And what we do is we geek out really hard on observing them dynamically. And so I think this is one important thing to consider is like we did in the meditation that you led this morning, we brought our mind and conscious awareness to our breath over a period of time. And so breathing is dynamic and we can't study it statically. And this is part of the challenge that we face in, in bringing more data to this amazing science in this world. How is it that we can start to recognize the patterns of dynamic breathing when we were born, we had a clear breath pattern. And over time, as, we, as we've as we learned how to create these maladaptive strategies in breathing that we may have needed because of childhood containers and mechanisms, or we've been raised in a culture that we have to over-effort, we've learned how to have this big voluminous inhale and not tap into the relaxation quality of our exhale. And so, yeah, that's impacting our weight balance as well. And that's patterned in uh, vocal cords and in the in the two lower fr- the diaphragms also. You know, the, there's an emphasis in, in today's fitness world to have that six-pack abs and, and get that belly, you know, as tight as you possibly can. And, and I, you know, I'm all for that, but I, I believe the belly itself is a master feeler. It, its job yeah. is to read the environment and report to the brain the authenticity of the environment and whether we're safe or not safe. And when you overwork your abdominal muscles, it becomes virtually impossible for the phrenic nerve to activate the diaphragm to enter the abdomen and give us that wonderful strong digestion, give us that wonderful lumbar spine support north and south to give us everything that the diaphragm can give us. So I think there's a balance that needs to be met between, you know, that six pack abs, but also have an abdomen that can receive the diaphragm on the 20,000 plus inhales you're going to take every day. Thank you, Ed. This is epic. So you know, I'm in, living in Bali. I live in this in this town here. We've got amazing amenities and life's really quite quite joyful. Here we've got a lot of Instagram influencers. We've got people with, you know, really big followings and accounts. And the pressure, you know, some of which I work with, the pressure that they receive on occasion to, you know, get their shots and look a certain way, to maintain their following, to maintain their wealth. Now what they've done is they've connected their wealth, also their, their self-worth and their value to their body image and to their abdomen. So an interesting thing that I notice is, as you touch upon, their abdomen is rigid. And it's rigid all the time. 
And what that means is they've conditioned in rigidity in the abdomen muscles, but also they've conditioned in rigidity under the rib cage. And so here under the rib cage, it's really great for me to see in my clients that we can get, you know, a good amount of our fingers under the rib cage. I want to see malleability and flexibility in that space. What I notice in these people who are focused on body image in that way without an awareness of breath is that, the, again, like you speak to, they've got this amazing six-pack ab, no fat, but there's rigidity, and it's coming at a cost. And it's coming at a cost to their system and to their being, to their mental health. The reason that is, okay, so I love what you're speaking to about the abdomen. We're, we're one of the very few beings that actually stands with all of our internal organs exposed. And when we think about a dog, a dog, when it's walking along the soft, it's the underbelly, right? It's facing the earth. And so our, our beings are designed to protect our organ spaces. And so the dog has the belly to the earth. If you prod a dog, one of the first things it does is contract its abdomen, right? It's preparing, right? Now, that is a shock state. It's high tone state. The abdomen's high tone. We need that. If I'm going to receive a punch in Muay Thai, I want to be instantly, instantly rigid, right? But when I'm eating breakfast an hour later, I want that whole area to be soft. And so, again, we, it's great to have both. The challenge that we face is when we get stuck in a dysfunctional pattern in our abdomen, well, guess what? Like you've touched upon, we've created rigidity. There's no pulsation through the, through the um, digestive system in the way that we want. We're going to sleep like that. And one thing that I assess is how are people breathing when they sleep? You know, hopefully we're getting seven to eight hours of good restful sleep and high REM, right? But if our abdomen's tight, even during sleep, because we've conditioned it so much to be that way for our Instagram photos, for our value and for our wealth, well, basically we've set a timer. We've set a timer on, on what will be a collapse of our internal organ systems at some point. That's amazing. I appreciate that. And people are going to get a lot out of that. Let's see if we can break down this upper torso a, a little bit more and, and get some of your insight into this, these fields of energy. So I have the, uh, I have the space between my navel and my solar plexus, these organs of the upper abdomen and the quality of energy there. And then I have mm. the energy from my navel to my pelvic floor, which is mm. a completely different type of energy. And then once mm. we come above the diaphragm, we have a certain type of energy and response in the lower lobes of the lungs. And then we have a completely different type of energy that's available to us in the upper lobes of the lungs. And as we begin to break the front of the body down into those four quadrants, uh, it allows us to really take a peek inside our patients, our clients. Mm. Is there anything that you can add to that? I, I love that way of, of observing breath in those in those four areas. Um, when I I work with my clients lying flat on their back, uh, I have a treatment table right here, and so the client lies on the treatment table, and I invite them to just to start to breathe, knowing that they're doing it right. We guide them into a connected breathing rhythm. When they're breathing in that way, I can visually observe where breath moves and where it doesn't move initially, and so. That for me is then the first thing to see, like where is the habitual pattern of breath? And so we're observing where breath's moving in the body in those four different areas. And we can immediately tell a lot about a person from that. Yeah. And then what we start to do is we dynamically load breath into different places to see the willingness of the breath to move into different areas of the body, but also how long they can stay with that sustained rhythm of breath. So essentially, we're stress loading. Now, the reason we do that lying down is so that there's no muscles of um, movement or, or structure that are engaged. They're fully relaxed, fully lying down. So we ought to be able to be reading just the three diaphragms of breath. And on occasion, we'll see that there's more movement of, say, the rhomboids or the upper back is coming in to help them breathe, right? So now what they're doing is they're using the auxiliary muscles of movement to bring breath through the body. And that ultimately will create exhaustion throughout the day. And that's right. a habitual pattern of breath 23 to 26,000 times. So what we read, what we look at when we read that is in the, in the space that you, the, I'll start with the bottom space, the first space that you speak to, which is deep in the pelvic bowl. For me, 
there's a quality that I see in people that breathe in that space of groundedness. And so yes. in, in yogic philosophy, this is the root chakra, and it relates to our connection to the earth and to our connection to our tribe. So this is like our felt sense, safe, sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And that's an area that relates to the period of our life of zero to three. So zero to three in our life is like when we were nurtured, when we were loved, when we were cared for by a primary caregiver, which is our mother. If our mother was present with us, that fed us, that, that co-slept, that helped co-regulate our nervous system, that space of zero to three is going to be full of breath. And so there's a variety of other different factors that might impact that. But the quality that we're seeing is groundedness in that space. And then as we move up the navel, what I normally associate this area with is this quality of abundance and flow. So it's like how people are creating flow in their life, how they're receiving their creativity, their, their sort of creative passion. This is the womb space. This is where life emerges from. And so then we move into these spaces of as soon as we cross the threshold right here, we're getting into what I, I call and we call in the school the fear belt. So this is this sticky, potential sticky area under the ribs. And so oftentimes we find that the whole rib cage is actually stuck. So I like to think the rib cage can fan like a concertina Mm -hmm. or the other visualization is a jellyfish. So it's moving. Like when you see a jellyfish moving through the water, this is how I like to, you know, encourage my clients to have a nice super malleable intercostal muscles. The whole rib cage can pulsate with breath. And it's beautiful to see that. Now, on occasion, we find that it's just totally rigid and stuck. And what I find is there's a correlation between people's stories around their capacity to be and stay in their power. And so this is a space where we're crossing from the individuated self into the highest self. We're moving from me into us and we, the universe. And this space here I associate with being in my power. So as soon as this starts to activate, suddenly we're getting into this powerful way that the ribs can, can come apart here. And so this is the solar plexus third energy center. That, and then finally, we're speaking about well, a couple ways that we break it down with our body map. But of course, we're coming into the heart. This is my capacity to love, to connect to other people, uh, to give and receive love. And so the quality that's present of the vibration of breath in this space is going to also impact magnetic resonance of the heart. The heart is an endocrine gland and my blood pressure. And then finally, I'm touching into these upper lung lobes here. Uh, we work with these as, as compassion points, and these are about forgiveness. And oftentimes we find that if someone has a lot of uh, a lack of forgiveness towards themselves, it's their left shoulder that's really rigid and really firm, and a lack of forgiveness towards other people is in the right shoulder. And it's just that's more of an esoteric body map that we work with, but the correlation is kind of alarming. And so when we can forgive, we can let go, right? And then our shoulders can drop. But if we're holding on to this, anger or resentment we find that it can stay stuck in in this whole area here as well and this is also a little bit associated with responsibility and so what we've done over time individually and as a team is track stories with people's breath pattern and patterns of behavior with people's breath pattern and what we find is like wow this person's really holding on to a lot of resentment and anger And we find that this whole area doesn't receive breath and doesn't pulsate. There's a rigidity there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the light version of the map that we work with in those four energy centers, the qualities that we see in the breath and how it moves or doesn't move. And then underneath that, the energetic that may or may not be present if someone's breathing or not breathing into each one of those spaces. That's brilliant. That's a wonderful map that – serves you and your clients very well. I want to run I want to run I want to run a technique by you and get your feedback around this fear belt. Uh, uh. I want I want to try a technique with you and I want to get your feedback from it. Sure. So what we're going to try to do is move the diaphragm off its normal attachments. So uh-huh. we're going to inhale and the diaphragm's going to move down. And uh-huh. then I want you to pause and lift uh-huh. the diaphragm up towards the throat diaphragm. And then exhale slowly through your nose. The diaphragm is going to evacuate the belly, come up under the lower lobes of the lungs. Hold the breath out. Now push the diaphragm down like you're trying to evacuate your bowels. So it's inhale, 
The diaphragm moves down. Hold in, but lift the diaphragm up towards the throat diaphragm. So it's where it normally is on the exhale. Now exhale, feel the diaphragm release and come up towards the lower lobes of the lungs. Hold the breath out, but push the diaphragm down to where it would be at the end of your inhale. One more round. Inhale, hold in, lift the thoracic diaphragm up. Relax the shoulders, let the pressure build. Exhale slowly, hold the breath out, and push the thoracic diaphragm down towards the pelvic floor. Resting breath. Yeah. Talk about break up that fear belt. I love it. I love it. What a great technique. You know, my felt sense experience on that final exhale, I could feel it pulling through the fascia in my right shoulder. So I could actually feel how the, as the diaphragm descended there, it was actually creating a slight pull through the fascial web. And that's obviously something that I've been opening up, you know, in, in my pranayam practice as well. So that's really powerful to bring awareness to the diaphragm itself and to start to activate all of those attachments and just creating like a different way and different pattern of movement that's available. Powerful. Thank it's you for sharing that. It's amazing how that energy like boomerangs up from the pelvic floor <laughs> and shoots out through the shoulders and the forebrain <laughs> area. <laughs> I love it. So I, I've learned so much in the last hour and I wish I was in Bali where I could take your classes and get your body work. <laughs> the body work, the breath work two modalities that have been used on earth for thousands of years to promote healing, health, vitality, and a deeper understanding of the human experience. The body work that you're doing, how do you weave that in to the rhythmic breathing? Is it all somatic? Is it visual? Uh, is it hot, cold? How, how do you, what's the secret sauce? Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Well, I guess like the foundation is guess what the breath and so what we're observing is moment to moment we're looking at the breath and we're seeing where it's moving and very much like the like the technique for moving breath and changing the diaphragm function like initially when we're observing it could be as simple as a hand placed on the outside of the ribs and what we're doing is we're using our own hand as a neurofeedback device to bring conscious awareness into that space so that's the first thing now touch Gentle touch might be enough to change the rhythm of breath. And so if the rhythm of breath changes such that it's more vibrant and full on the inhale and more relaxed on the exhale, we would categorize that as being an effective facilitation. And so once we've got an effective facilitation, we'll remove the hand and we'll move into another facilitation. And it could just be touching into the upper lobe in this way with gentle but firm pressure and then what we're, what we're seeing is like there's this quality that, oh, breath's moving here now. Well, I take my hand away. That's now an effective facilitation. And so what we're doing is we're just allowing the rhythm of breath to tell us, is my facilitation technique effective or not? And so initially when we're starting to work with somebody, we're, we're working with this idea of minimum required dose. It's like I might just be touching really gently. This person, this breather might have amazing body awareness. They can scan their whole being. As soon as I place my hand on, I can recognize their awareness moves to that space. And guess what happens? Their breathing shifts. Mm -hmm. So initially, I'm going to work with very light body work. And we're going to get a foundational breathing rhythm that's pelvic floor to throat. Vibrant inhale, relaxed exhale. And once we've got that with steadiness, that might take you know a couple months for some people. Then we're going to start working with these deeper facilitation techniques, which are kind of blending myofascial unwinding with like deep, deep body work, which would be kind of more of like a rolfing style. Uh, we might come in under the rib cage with firmness, with like a, a firm pressure to release the diaphragm muscle. I might work through the hips or the psoas. We're going to bring through leg compressions, arm compressions. I might be doing really subtle work on the neck and the cranium. Like, or, uh, so working with like craniosacral techniques just to bring through slight movement. And then we're also going to work with these techniques called nerve flossing. So it's where we take a limb and we move it just a millimeter just to see what happens when the nerve fires. And we work with these subtle nerve twitch techniques that then allow the body to actually move and repattern. And essentially the nervous system is remapping the map of the body through the nerves and the brainstem. So we're working with basically 
techniques from incredibly soft, very, very slight movement, right the way through to firm pressure and body work, working into deep muscle tissue with uh, compressive techniques as well. What we know when to bring through what based on the breath. So it's like the breath is telling us we operate from this space that I don't know what to do here, but the wisdom of the client's body does. And if I listen to that and I use that to tell me moment to moment, I can respond to what's emerging in the breath rhythms and facilitate a more vibrant inhale and a more relaxed exhale simultaneously, moment to moment, breath to breath. This, this is genius work. This is unbelievable facilitation that, that you're cultivating and your clients must, must love this work. Thank you. Yeah, I've got, um, well, yeah, to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm booked for the year, which is, which feels great. <laughs> but um, one of the, one of the challenges I faced here, Ed, and it was, it was an amazing one is when I arrived in Bali, I was fully booked within two weeks and I had a demand for the work that I couldn't sustain. And so the first thing I had to do was stop taking new clients within about three to six months. And then I had to operate from a space where I would only take a new client when I knew I could serve them fully in the way that they wanted, which might be a weekly appointment. And so I changed, I had to change and evolve my business model in a really great way that now I only work by application and that I only take on a new client when I know I have the bandwidth to serve them. What this led to was this understanding for me that, wow, there's a lot of demand for this work here in Bali. There's a lot of people that get it and are willing to do it. And we have this sort of, you know, I had this guilt over the fact that I can't serve these people. And so, uh, instead of extending my schedule or jamming more people in or reducing the quality of my treatment, what I decided to do was train other people. And so I'm now blessed that we've got 10 other practitioners on the team here. It's taken about a year and a half for us to get here. Uh, we've taken a lot of time to train and build rapport slowly. The amazing thing, Ed, is these were my clients. So initially people who came to me with a breathing dysfunction, maybe asthma or some anxiety in their life, and they worked with the breath for maybe six months. We cleared the, the functional dysfunctional patterns. They relearned how to breathe. They forgot all of the old shit that they didn't need anymore. And they came back to themselves. And then they were like, well, they were so curious. They were in their practices. They were loving breath. They were like, I want to train with you. And so I bought the training program that I uh, created in Canada here. And we built out a team of 10. And now we have uh, a clinic facility here that I just built. Um, it's traditional Balinese wooden buildings, and it's set in a permaculture garden. And so now we have this amazing team of people that can kind of take more clients that I just don't have the bandwidth for. And so we're continuing to expand. Our demand's increasing again. We've just leased some more land for a new facility. We're going to build our own school with our own restaurant, with permaculture farms, and we're going to employ locals. The whole project's going to be a charity. So we have the mandate that it's a not-for-profit. And uh, we're going to keep creating regenerative agriculture and supporting local people, especially at a time where traditional, this kind of like the modern traditional Bali tourism's died, right? And so they're facing high levels of unemployment and less cash flow influx. So I'm exploring these ways now in like, how can we support Balinese people? And how can we bring them into a business model that's equitable and fair for them as well, providing housing, providing living wage, providing organic vegetables, and upskilling them eventually the shining stars that come through the farm and the restaurant, they're going to become our practitioners as well. And then we'll be able to train Balinese practitioners. We'll be able to train Indonesian practitioners. We've got a interest from a group that wants us to open a clinic in Jakarta. So I can really see how this is going to flow. So yeah, the work, people are loving the work. Sure. Part of it's the way that I, that I embody practice, live and teach it. And it's also like, this is ancient wisdom. You know, I, I love training a practitioner because I can see that initially they're overwhelmed. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And part of it Ed, is this admission that it's like, it's okay. You don't have to, the breath's going to tell you. Right. So we guide people back to this truth. If you observe and watch breath and you have the framework that I teach, you're capable of being a practitioner. And I've been, the final exam is to breathe me. And my team has been, has been breathing me and practicing with me for some time. And I'm, I'm really honored by them as well. They're an amazing, amazing group of humans. And we're going to keep sharing these techniques individually and collectively. And yeah, next year, our, our whole, uh, um, we're going to evolve the training program. I'm inviting them more into the faculty and they're each teaching their own specialties as well. So that's feeling really good. 
this is the, the coolest thing I've heard in a long, long time. I mean, this is so awesome and so deeply needed. I think we all need to hop on that next plane to Bali once you get those 10 people certified. That's it. That's a like invitation. I mean, uh, we're going to be building some guest cottages here on the on the new property. And that's basically going to be the invitation. It's like, hey, people like yourself that have been diving super deep into, into techniques of breathing that, you know, already have a great embodied knowledge and just want to like practice for yourself and go deeper and be working with people that have been really devoted to breath and body work and bringing in these different therapeutic techniques. Like that's the invitation is for people who are coaches, physios, who have hit this block. They're like, wow, like I'm, I'm at this level, but there's more. I know there's more and I just want to dive in. And part of that is also I love to practice with a team. Uh, last night we had a workshop. One of, my senior, one of my senior trainers led the workshop and I had the opportunity to breathe. I had the opportunity to practice. And I'm so grateful that I can do that. And so I want to share that gift with other people who are in this field, who are, you know, scientists in the world of breath, who are diving really deeply into it. Well, you certainly are a great spirit and you're making the most of your time here on earth, not just for yourself, but your community and your surroundings. So kudos to you. If anyone wants to hook up with Edward on Instagram, you can see him at, at Edward Dangerfield or at Breathwork Bally or at Safe Breathwork. There's two websites, www.edwarddangerfield.com and www.breathworkbally.com. And there's another one, www.safebreathwork.com. And just listening to Edward for the last hour or so, you can tell he's the real deal and he's an authentic healer. And he's someone that if you get jammed up, he's someone that you, that you want to connect with because he's the real deal. And he's carrying this, these breathwork modalities and these bodywork modalities with deep authenticity, allowing you to do the healing work. He sets the table for you. Thank you so much for being with us this week with our Life with Breath expert series. I learned so much being with you, and I wish you every continued success. Let's stay in touch. Ed, thanks so much, brother. And, uh, yeah, come, come visit in Bali sometime. Come surf with me. I can't wait. And why don't you go out and get some waves for me, brother? <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's almost All right, like. buddy. We love you. Thank you so much. You were Thank great. You so much, and we'll brother. talk again soon. Love to you, Peace, Ed. Thank brother. you. Go be great. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye.